before I read two things that I would like for you to hold in, in mind as a background for our thinking together, our meditation really. I wish to take this moment to express my appreciation for all of the little and big courtesies by which my days have been surrounded since coming here, both as an expression of your goodwill and an expression of the kindness of your hearts. Despite the fact that you could not control the weather, my organism knows that you did the best you could with what you had. It is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our spirits. There is a spirit in us that contains our spirit that provides the secondary consolations which float the big anxieties, that sustains the effort beyond the calculated endurance, that makes the case for the good impulse when the rational judgment sends the mind spinning in the opposite direction. It is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our lives. There is at work in life much that seems so circumstantial that the release of explanation can come only in the great word of the non-committal coincidence. Even the most cursory examination of what may be regarded as the most ordinary life shows that at many points startling things have occurred that altered the entire direction of one's life. Some chance word heard at a critical moment, some single encounter along the way, a paragraph tucked away in an ordinary book, a stray thought out of nowhere finds a cuddling place in the mind and there begins to live and breathe and reproduce its kind until something emerges as a new outlook, a different way of thinking. It is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our lives. Despite all the wanderings of our footsteps, despite all the ways by which we may have sought to circumvent the truth within us, despite all the weaknesses of our spirits and of our minds, despite all the blunders by which we may have isolated ourselves from our fellows or proven unworthy 
of the love, the trust, the confidence by which again and again our days are surrounded despite all these things, it is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our spirits and in our lives. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the timeless utterance the password that relaxes the angel with the flaming sword who guards the entrance to the Holy of Holies. No man can be happy in heaven if his brother is in hell. If the light that is in you be darkness. What a darkness it is. The tempter carried him to the pinnacle of the temple. And, and he said, if you are God's son, or if you are God's son, or if you are God's son, or if you are God's son, jump. And you won't get hurt. That is in the background of our thinking. Our lives are surrounded by what seems to me to be a, a structure of dependability in the very nature of life. That there is, there is an order, there is a, a ground that is rational, that, that supports, sustains, that, that breathes through, that, that bottoms existence. And the degree to which an individual seems to understand this by brooding over the stubborn and sometimes unyielding and recalcitrant aspects of nature or the world until the rational principle that seems to be at work in his mind becomes one with the rational principle that is at work in, in, in the whole structure of nature and the universe, when these flow together, then it seems to the man who is thus visited that he stands outside 
of the normal operation of antecedent and consequence of reaping and sowing. And the insistence of my mind this morning is that if by brooding over the external world of nature, the mind of man seems to be illumined by the secret that is there, which is one with the secret in his own mind so that he can use the raw materials of nature on behalf of, of an expression of his own will and intention. When, when this is his experience, he seems to himself to be standing outside of the operation of any moral law whatsoever. Our history illustrates this brooding over the world external to ourselves until at last we were able to extract what seems to be to us the, the secret of atomic energy. And this secret we harnessed and we put it at the disposal of the decisions of the mind and the judgments of history as we interpreted it and as an expression of the way by which we could extricate ourselves from that which seemed to threaten and to destroy, we became the instrument through which this kind of atomic energy could be released on the children of man. And our knowledge gave to us the delusion that we ourselves were immune to the moral and ethical consequences of our behavior. When the energies of life that are part of an expression of the creative life of God are used on behalf of that which destroys and lays waste, that does not heal and cure and make secure. When this happens, mankind experiences the wrath of God. When the same energies brooding over the sickness and the illness and all of the other ways by which life seems to have gone awry, when these energies become creative expressions of the intent and the, the benevolence and the kindness and the grace and the love of God, then we experience the love of God. There is something about the mind 
that causes the individual as he seeks and experiences the understanding of the world external to himself that makes him feel that he is immune to the operation of moral law. If I can get the secret, then I can stand outside of the relentless operation of antecedent and consequence of reaping and sowing. Sometimes when I'm very young, I feel this way. In my early days in San Francisco, there was one young fellow in our church who, who was sure that uh, his parents were a little out of date because they felt that, that he drove the family car with too much recklessness. And one day when they were chiding him about it, he, he said, Accidents come to those people who do not know how to drive. Every curve in Northern California knows my name. And then one day, he met a curve that had not heard about him. And I went to visit him in the hospital. This, this is one of the perils. If, if I'm young, if I am innocent, then I am immune to the operation of the relentless logic of antecedent and consequence, of reaping and sowing. I stand outside of it because I'm innocent. if I'm a good man. I have given the nerve center of my heart to God and I'm committed to following the path of Jesus Christ. Then standing within that kind of holy and cosmic immunity, I ought to be able to do what someone who is not involved in that kind of process to do with recklessness. There's something that is very illusory about goodness in the religious experience. Uh, a naive feeling that there's something about goodness that can good itself through the world. That, that the good man is, is immune to the operation of the laws of life, the, the logic, the structure of dependability that is inherent in the nature of existence. I have described this at some point, but when I moved out to San Francisco from, from Boston, from Washington rather, one of my very good friends 
who was the dean of a medical school, wanted to be sure that on the hazardous undertaking that I was, in which I was engaged, that my, my health was good, my organism would support the enterprise. So he asked me to come down to the hospital for examination, and, and he did his part, then he sent me to X, and X did his part, and Y, and L, and M. Each one did his part. And then on Friday, after this had begun on Monday, he invited me to his office and sat me down in the chair. He sat at the desk with the manila folder. He looked at this report, and he'd look at me and he'd say, mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. And then he held a report in his hand, and at time stood still for a moment. Then he put it down and said, mm-hmm. And he went all the way through the manila folder, and then he looked at me, and he said, you are in pretty good shape for a man of your years, but he said, you are getting a little too heavy. And he talked to me rather learnedly about what the extra weight would do to my heart and to my blood pressure and, and parts of me that I had not heard or thought about. And then I looked at him. He was not as tall as I, about five feet or six or four inches, and he weighed about 225 pounds. Now listen very carefully. He thought that his body knew that he was a doctor. His, his body did not know that he was a doctor. His, his body knew precisely what my body knew, that he was storing up more caloric units than he was burning up, and hence became the storage places called the bulges. <laughs> now, that, that, that knowledge was an immunity. He didn't know he thought this. That, that we, are, we are bound by, by a structure of dependability in life, that, that there is an order that expresses itself in all manifestations of creation. And ultimately, it expresses itself in the hunger of the heart. And once it is clear to me that the hunger in my heart, which, if I listen with great care, becomes for me the whisper of the voice of God, that this hunger and my experience of the orderly structure in which I am grounded as a part of God's creation will flow together. And the tempter carried him 
to the pinnacle of the temple. And the tempter said, If you are God's son, jump. Nothing will happen to you. God will take care of you. He will give his angels charge concerning you. They will bear you up on their wings, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And the master's reply, you remember? It is written, thou shalt not tempt God. Tempt God. Tempt God. To destroy you. If I go up to the pinnacle of the temple and jump, even though I am the son of God, even though I came forth, out of the womb of time to demonstrate and, and manifest a part of the creative, redemptive energy of God. Nevertheless, I am not immune. So if I go to the pinnacle of the temple and jump down, the possibilities are I will break my neck. Son of God to the contrary, notwithstanding, because this world is grounded in a structure of dependability. And it is a part not only of the law and the order of God, it is a part of the love of God. Therefore, I shall have no fear of today or tomorrow, I shall not shrink from the relentless operation of the aura by which my days are surrounded. I am committed to this, that the light that is in me remain light. If the light in me becomes darkness, what a darkness. What? What a darkness. Thou shalt not tempt God. Our words are ended, our Father. Be very close to them and guide them that they may be true To the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And for us, O oh God our Father,
our Father. This is enough.